The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Allie. Um, <clears throat> Allie prayed for the many. <clears throat> Excuse me, just a sec. <clears throat> and a lot of talking this week, so I think my voice is uh, losing strength or something. Anyway, Allie prayed for a lot of the ministries that are happening in Grace Valley. I just want to mentioned to you young adults, uh, the young adult ministry is really starting to take off. We had a meeting with some leaders about uh, the next step and what the young adult ministry could look like here at Grace Valley. It's really, really exciting. You'll hear more about it in the coming weeks. I just want to pique your interest. If there is, if there is interest peaked and you want to know more about it, I think Isabel's here. Yep, Isabel's here. Are any of your other peeps here or is it all on you right now? Okay, it's all on Isabel. She's leaving right after church. No, she'll be around. Uh, you can ask her what the plans are. Pretty exciting stuff. We are once again working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. For those of you who are visiting with us, there's probably some folks here maybe who are here for the first time visiting family in the area or something. We have been a, in a many months long study of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been calling Through the Looking Glass, because... What the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is it's Jesus' manifesto of what life is like in his kingdom. When you are a Christian, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and you say, I am no longer going to be the master of my own uh, fate and domain and, and, and future, I am going to put my trust in Jesus. When you do that, and you live for him. You enter his kingdom. He becomes your Lord. He becomes your master. And so you live according to his priorities, his values, his ethic, as opposed to the priorities and values and ethic of the culture from which you came, either secular culture or maybe in another religious culture, etc. And so we've been looking at what that looks like for a whole bunch of months right now. And we are now entering what scholars say is sort of the wrap-up, the conclusion of Jesus' sermon. Beginning in verse 13 and going down to the end of uh, the, the chapter, chapter 7, Jesus is sort of wrapping up and he's concluding by uh, putting together these contrasts or these pairs. You know, he talks about two paths, that's what we're going to look at this morning, but he also talks about two trees, two pleas, <laughs> two houses, okay? And essentially what he is saying is that at the end of this sermon, what I want you to know is that there are basically two ways to live. You can live as a child of God in his kingdom, or you can live as a child of destruction in the world. There is no neutrality. There is no middle ground. There's no third way. Either Jesus is the Son of God, who came into this world to, to show us the Father, as he says, or he's not. 
There's no middle way. There's no in-between. You are either with me or you're against me. That's what Jesus is pressing here. You've got to remember, when Jesus starts this sermon, it looks like he's speaking just to his disciples. So these are the people who are in. These are the people who said, we're going to follow you, Jesus. We are going to go with you wherever you take us. But as the sermon grows, the crowds start to gather, and there's lots of people overhearing what Jesus has been saying to his disciples. So now he's speaking to the whole crowd, and it's a mixed audience. It's not full of people who have said, yes, Jesus, we're going to follow you. It includes people who are skeptical. <laughs> skeptical. It includes people who are just curious. You know, some people just like seeing what's going on in a crowd. i got to admit, I'm like that. If I walk down, down in downtown Dundas and I see a whole bunch of people gathered somewhere... I'm like, hey, what's going on over there? I want to check it out. So Jesus has this mixed audience, and what he wants to make sure is that everybody here understands the stakes of what he's talking about. This is about life and death. You cannot sit on the fence after hearing this sermon. That's what he's pressing us to believe. Now, as modern people, that makes us uncomfortable because we are a very commitment-phobic culture. We like to keep our options open, you know. Every time you get a phone call from Bell or TELUS or one of these other telephone company people, you, you talk to them about this deal that they, that they are giving you and you say, what's the catch? And they say, well, you got to lock in for two years and you say, I'm out! You're not locking me down for two years of your, of your, uh, your contract, because we don't like this kind of thing. Now, in Grace Valley Church, we are very, very fortunate to have people from all over the sort of religious spectrum in attendance. We have people who have been Christians for as long as they can remember. They have been following Jesus and living for Him. And we have people who are sort of in the middle, who are, you know, sort of, I, I'm, I've got one foot in the kingdom, I think, but I'm, I'm not fully in yet. I'm still wrestling with it. And then we've got other people who are totally new to the Christian faith who don't really understand how it all works, and they're here to learn, and they're seeking and trying to understand. I, I love that fact that there are people from all over the religious spectrum who come and worship here. But I do need to say to you, my dear mixed audience, <laughs> Jesus is pressing us in these verses. For weeks we've been hearing about the kingdom of God, what it's like, what it means to live in that kingdom now. And Jesus is getting to the point where he's asking the question, are you in or are you out? Are you just receiving my message for information or are you going to practice it? See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't want his teaching simply to be commended. He wants his teaching to be obeyed. He wants it to be carried out. And he's pressing all of us here this morning, regardless of what you know about the faith or how long you have been attending church or what your background is, he's pressing all of us with this question, are you with me or are you against me? Are you in or are you out? There is no middle way. Despite what you may have thought, you need to eventually make a decision about me. So, for the next several weeks, Jesus is going to press us what that decision looks like. And we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 this morning. Just two verses. Not long, but wow, packed. And we're going to think about what Jesus has to say. He's very clear. 
He's very black and white about things. It's super challenging. So let's have a look together. First of all, Jesus introduces in verse 13 this idea of two paths. He says, Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Now, Jesus is saying that in spiritual things, there are two paths you can go down. There are two directions you can take. You are all moving down one path or another, one direction or another. One path leads to life. The other path, he says, means, leads to death. Now, this is what this means. Here are the implications of this. First of all, we are all on a journey. Every single one of us is on a spiritual journey. And we are heading in one direction or we are heading in another direction. There are people who say, listen, I'm agnostic. It's impossible to be an atheist. More and more people are willing to admit it's virtually impossible really to be an atheist because if you're going to be an atheist, you have, have to have comprehensive knowledge about the universe, that there is no God, and nobody has comprehensive knowledge about the universe. So most people are starting to say, I'm an agnostic. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. The evidence that I see tends to lean me toward the idea that there isn't a God, and so I can't know, nor do I think that I need to know. Nothing against religion. If you want to practice it, knock yourself out. I'm just not interested in that myself. I don't find it relevant to my life. Thanks anyway. Many people talk about religion that way. And Jesus is pointing out to us here that that is an extremely naive approach to take. At the beginning of every service on Sunday, I try to try to pique people's interest by saying, look, we believe that Jesus is the answer to life's deepest questions. That's what religion is about. If you think religion is just about attending services and going through rituals and, you know, standing and sitting and bending over and putting money into cups and baskets and stuff like that, if that's what you think religion is, well, yeah, I'm not interested in it either. But what religion really is, it is your answer, your, 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 your answers to these deep questions of life. Like, why is there something rather than nothing? How in the world did we all get here? What's the point of living? What's the point of your life? What's the point of you getting up in the morning, you young people going to school, getting a job, you know, trying to buy a house someday in your 40s or 50s? What's the point of it all? These are the big questions of life. That's what religion answers. It answers these big questions in life. And Jesus is saying, listen, everybody's living with presuppositions about those answers. Everybody's got tacit answers to those questions that drive their behavior, drive their direction. We've all got that, and so we're all traveling on a road in one direction or another. One path will lead to destruction, the other path will lead to life. And this leads to the second thing that it's, this implies, and that's this. There are only two paths. Jesus is being very exclusive here, and he's saying, look, there's only two paths. Now, again, we live in modern relativistic culture. We don't like that kind of talk and language. It sounds very exclusive, and it sounds kind of snooty. It sounds kind of intellectually arrogant. world's a big place, isn't it? A lot of people believe a lot of different things. And here's Jesus and here's you Christians trying to say that there's only one path. No, 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 no. This is how it works. There are many paths to God. It's like mountain climbing. Picture in your mind Mount Everest and God is at the top of Mount Everest. He's at the peak. 
And at the bottom of Mount Everest are all these different religions that start from different places at the bottom. So you have Hindus here, you have Buddhists here, you have Jews here, and, and Muslims here, and Christians here, and secular people here, and New Age people here, and the list goes on and on and on. But the basic point is, is that everybody's going to climb that mountain and discover when they get to the top that they have found God, and so has everybody else. That's kind of the general understanding about religion in today's world. And it's true on one level, yes, there are only two ways, or there are, sorry, on one level it is true. Every path leads to God, that's true. But here's the thing, not every path leads to favor with God. That's what Jesus' point is. And, and in another way, it's actually not true that every path leads to God because if you know anything about the different religions in the world, you understand that they contradict one another. Christianity says there's one God who exists in three persons, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in what's called a trinity. Hindus believe that there are over 300 million gods. Buddhists don't believe that there is a God at all. Muslims believe that there is one God and he is a, 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 uni, a unitive God, meaning there's just one person of the God, and to talk about God as existing in three persons is actually blasphemy. They all contradict one another. And when people say, you know, you know, all religions are right, frankly, they're speaking out of ignorance. Because they can't all be right. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. You don't believe me? Look it up in John chapter 14. It's a very stark claim. And he's either right or he's wrong. When someone says to Christians, listen, every religion is right, and a Christian says, no, ours is the only one that's right, and they say, you're wrong, now you're not letting Christians be right. I'm waiting for the penny to drop. Do you get the, the, the lack of logic there? If, if you want to say all religions have the, the same way to God and a Christian says, well, actually only Christianity is the way to God and you tell them, no, 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 all of them are a way to God, what you're doing is, is you're saying Christians are wrong. But you just said all religions are right. Are we right or are we wrong? What are we? Okay. So Jesus is very exclusive and he says there's two paths and there's only two. Now what are these paths like? Why does he say that there are two paths and only two and what are they like? Well, the first one, Jesus says, is broad. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So the first path is broad, and apparently it has lots of people on it. Okay? It's a very wide gate. It's easy to get through. And then the other path, he says, is narrow, because he says small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to light, life, Sorry, and only a few find it. Now that word narrow here, it's literally a word that means tight or, or pinched. And the picture you're supposed to have is like the narrow way or the, the narrow gate, the small gate, you have to like turn sideways because usually you're thinner this way than this way. And you turn sideways to kind of squeeze through. So the two pictures are basically this. You have this highway, eight lanes, the start, starting line is like at the Indy 500. It's wide and everybody can go and boom, all kinds of people are on it. 
And then on the opposite uh, picture is you have like a turnstile where you have to go through the turnstile to get into the path, and it's like a deer path. It's narrow, and it's got thick forest on either side. These are the two options. This is what Jesus contrasts. Well, why does he contrast them? Well, first of all, the broad road. The broad road. It's easy, you know, to, lock, to walk in lockstep with the crowd. Who knows? Maybe this crowd is 5,000 people wide. We don't know. But it's easy to get swept along with kind of the beliefs, the values, the priorities of your culture. And it's easy to get swept along physically. I, I think I, I told you about, I went, I went to Universal Studios over March break. What a mistake to go to Universal Studios over March break. I mean, it was wall-to-wall people. And you didn't really decide where you were going to go because it was a wave of people that just kind of took you along and you floated along with them to wherever the crowd wanted to go next. We, though, take comfort very often in walking the same way as other people. We look around us and we say, well, I must be on the right track because everybody's on the track with me. Have you ever been stuck in traffic? I do this all the time. It drives Jessica crazy. You're stuck in traffic, and you see a few people are going off on an exit, and you're like checking your app, and you're checking the news, and you're turning on the radio, and you're like, some people are getting off. Is there, a, is there something they know that none of us know? It's a little faster. They've got a shortcut. You know, they're locals, and they kind of know the back roads or something like that. And you want to get off and follow them, but you don't because you're like, what if it's wrong? Everybody's still on the highway. It's not like everybody's doing it. It's just a few people doing it, so you stay on the highway. We do this. Most people think Christianity is pretty nuts. Biblical Christianity. They don't think that sort of liberal Protestant Christianity is that nuts, progressive Christianity is that nuts, but biblical Christianity where we believe in stuff like the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he actually did die like he was dead, brain activity ended, his body lay there for three days and then it came back to life never to die again and he became someone who could walk through walls, Eventually, in front of a whole bunch of people, he floated up into the air and he was hidden by a cloud and he says, someday I'm going to come back and usher in my kingdom and all of you people here, like me, if you're a Christian, you're like, Lord Jesus, come back, the world's a mess, we want you to come back. And, and if you're a non-Christian, you look at that and you just go, come on, that's whack, that's wiggity whack. But if you allow yourself the open-mindedness to listen for a little while about what reasons Christians have to believe, that sometimes you go, wow, they're pretty, they're pretty reasonable reasons to believe after all, but you still reject them. Why? Because we all want to fit in. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be the ones who got sucked into some kind of scam. You ever been scammed? Telephone scam, computer scam? And you got to tell people, yeah, I totally got scammed, clickbaited, had to cancel my credit cards. First thing you do is you blush, you feel like an idiot. That's what Jesus is saying. The broad way is the, the easy way because everybody's on it, <laughs> it feels like. But it's also the easy way because it's easy. Sorry, it's the, sorry. It's also the broad way because it's easy. When Jesus calls the narrow way hard, 
You're meant to understand that the Broadway is easy. Why would the Broadway be so easy? The answer is this. Everybody's born on it. We're all born on the Broadway that leads to destruction. The Bible story is that our first parents were created perfect and had perfect communion and relationship with Jesus and uh, with God. And because of that, life flourished. They had complete fullness, satisfaction of soul, joy of heart. They were lacking nothing, but the devil tempted them and they fell for it, deciding that they were not going to submit to the God, to the God who created them. They were going to become their own gods and masters. They were one, the ones who wanted to decide what was right and wrong for them, how they wanted to live, and they put themselves on the broad road. And every one of us since then is born on that broad road. We all are. And so that's the way we know. It's comfortable, you see. It's intuitive. It fits us. Have you ever tried to learn another language? Compared to, you grow up here in Canada and you learn English, and it seems pretty simple to you. You know, you, you kind of figure it out as you go. You make some mistakes along the way, but you, you sort of intuitively become a fluent English speaker. What if you're trying to learn it as a, as a second language? There's, there's something I think that's a lot of fun. It's called the pronunciation poem. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I'm going to read the pronunciation poem to you. I take it you already know of tough and bow and cough and doe. Others may stumble, but not you, on hiccup, thorough, laugh, and through, and cork, and work, and card, and ward, and font, and front, and word, and sword? Well done. And now, if you wish, perhaps to learn of less familiar traps, beware of herd, a dreadful word that looks like beard and sounds like bird. And dead. It's said like bed, not bead. For goodness sake, don't call it debt, deed. Watch out for meat and great and threat. They rhyme with sweet and straight and debt. A moth is not a moth in mother, nor both in bother, broth, or brother. And here is not a match for there, and dear and fear for bear and pear. And then there's dose and rose and lose. Just look them up and goose and choose and do and go, then thwart and cart. Come, come, I've hardly made a start. A dreadful language, man alive! I mastered it when I was five. And that's what you do when you're in your culture, learning your language, growing up in it, swimming in the water. You just learn it, and it makes sense to you. When you look at thorough and cough and bow and all these weird spellings. If you're coming from another place, I can't imagine what it's like for you to try to learn this language. We are born into the Broadway, friends. It is intuitive to us. And so when we read the signposts of this Broadway, they make sense. You can do it. You're a good person. You have to live your own truth. Everyone needs to do what they think is right. Follow your heart. You're fine just the way you are. You can be whatever you want to be. Amen. You do you. Be free. That's the most important thing. These things sound good to us. 
We say, yeah, of course, follow your heart. What's so bad about following your heart? Prisons are full of people who have followed their heart. It feeds our ego. The broad way feeds our ego and our self-absorption. We like how it sounds to us. But, but listen, C.S. Lewis said this about the road to hell. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's the broad way. The other path, the, the small way or the small gate is difficult. It requires sacrifice. It requires dying to yourself. It requires submitting your will to the will of another. And that's not normal for us, okay? It is countercultural. It is in, uh, counterintuitive. It is the last thing our culture tells us to do. Give yourself over to someone else. Take away your autonomy and allow someone else to rule your life. No wonder Jesus says few find it. Now, before you go asking the question, how many people are saved? Is Jesus talking about how many people are going to be saved? doesn't sound like there's going to be many people saved. That's not Jesus' point, okay? He's contrasting these ways. He's pushing us to think about them. He's not trying to get us to think about how many people will be saved. I'll just tell you this. I don't have time to get into it. Read Revelation 7. It says in Revelation 7 that there will be a multitude in the new creation so big that nobody can count them. God is a generous God. But Jesus' point here is to tell us, look, it is hard. The narrow way is hard. Why is it hard? First of all, it's hard to enter. Remember the turnstile thing? Have you ever, have you ever been to a place where um, the turnstile wasn't working? Or you didn't have the money <laughs> to make it work? And so you, have, you try to squeeze through and get through that turnstile. It's very, very difficult. Don't ever do it if you don't have the money. That's stealing. It, it's hard, though, okay? Um, where am I here? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, the reason it's so hard to enter is because you have to leave everything behind to get in. Oftentimes, people will say, you know, Jesus, when I read the Gospels, I'm, I don't know what to say about, like, walking on water and raising dead people and making blind people see. I don't know what to make out, make out of all of that. It's probably not true because I don't really believe in miracles. But I will say this. Jesus seems pretty cool. He's so moral and upright and he's like what I want to be. A person who, who doesn't cater to the rich and the people in power. He, he cares for the poor and the insignificant and the marginalized. I like him. But here's my thing. I have some beliefs. I have some ideas that are very important to me. I have political views that are very important to me. I have, I have lifestyle choices that are, that are very important to me. I have certain relationships that I'm in that are very, very important to me. I have certain grudges maybe that, that I, I have against people that I think are actually justified. Or maybe you have certain sins, what you would, what historically would be called sins, but you just call them sort of proclivities. And you say, well, I... Are you saying i got to give those things up to follow Jesus? There's only one way through the, the gate, friends. Jesus says you have to leave 
everything for me. All your preconceived notions, all your, your, those things that you think are oh so important to you that are actually born out of the secular cultural mind that you have been born and raised in and you think that they're oh so important, you've never really thought of them a different way. Jesus says all of that has to be on the table. You've got to be willing to take this backpack of stuff that you own, take it off and leave it behind and walk through that gate to follow me and we're afraid to do it. I could give you so many reasons we're afraid to do it, but you know what? It really boils down to this. We don't think life would be good or happy or fulfilling without that thing that's in our backpack. We have a hard time believing that if Jesus tells me to give up this relationship or Jesus tells me to give up this sinful tendency or if Jesus tells me to give up this perspective and this view, that if I do that, I can still lead a fulfilling joyful life we're afraid and so we want to hold on to these things and Jesus says no let them go trust me let them go it's like we sang in in rock of ages nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling naked come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul to the fountain I fly wash me savior or I die So it's hard to enter, but it's also hard to walk because it's restrictive. Remember that deer path in the forest picture I gave you? You got to go single file. You can't rely on another person's faith. Young people, you're in grade school or high school or something, and you're here, frankly, because mom and dad say that in this family we go to church on Sunday, and you go, well, it's better to do this than fight and get grounded or whatever. When I'm out on my own, I'll be able to make my own decisions. Yeah, you better start making your own decisions now, guys. Start thinking about it. Start wrestling with the question, is Jesus who he says he is? That's a question we all have to answer. We cannot walk this path on one another's backs and say that I am walking in obedience to Christ simply because I'm raised in a Christian home. Are you walking in faith and obedience to Christ? Not does my family do devotions after supper and my mom or my dad lead in prayer. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? That's what the way demands of us. That each of us has this kind of relationship with Jesus. And at the same time, you can't deviate from the path. If you step off the path, you're sunk. It's, it's, it's like the deer path. It, it's got bush on either side. And if you try to step off, you're into the poison ivy. You're into the thorn bushes. You're, you're into the, the things that can kill you, okay? And we don't like that. I know we don't like that. But the truth is, friends, that in all parts of our lives, if we ever want to accomplish something meaningful, we have to be narrow, How many years does a a, a person have to go to school to be a doctor and they spend all this time focused on becoming a doctor? How long do you have to train to be a dancer or to be a musician? I I looked it up because I really like Yo-Yo Ma. I like like cellos. I love the sound of a cello and I really like to listen to Yo-Yo Ma and he's a fantastic cellist and he's been a cellist for I don't know how many decades now. He's still to this day, practices five to six hours a day. Like, at what point are you good enough where you're like, finally, I don't have to practice? Apparently, you're not ever good enough that you don't have to practice anymore. But that's the only way to be free. If you've ever listened to Yo-Yo Ma, it's because he spends five, six hours a day 
doing his scales, oops, sorry, cello, doing his scales, interpreting his songs, practicing his, I don't know enough about music to tell you what he's doing, but he's doing it. And then when I listen to him, I'm like, he's so free with the, with the scores that he plays. I am currently trying to lose a little bit of weight. And so I started exercising very regularly, started dieting. And my, my ever-encouraging son tells me, Dad, you're never going to lose any weight. <laughs> and the reason is, he says, because I love cheat days. You know what a cheat day is? I love cheat days. And he says, no cheat days. If you really want to lose weight, Dad, no cheat days. You can't. That's so depressing. <laughs> Following Jesus is not pressing follow on Twitter, guys. It takes focus. It takes determination. It takes grit. It takes getting up on a Sunday morning after a late Saturday night and saying, I'm still going to worship. It takes getting in the car when it's rainy and cold and going to the Bible study because you signed up for it and said you would and you know you need this even though you don't want to go. It's that kind of stuff. And I don't want this to sound like works righteousness. But at the same time, I can't say to myself, I want to get stronger, but I don't want to lift barbells. I can't just pray myself into strength. I've tried that for many years. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus says it leads to life. Yes, to die to yourself, it's dying. I've been with people who are dying. Sometimes it is absolute agony to die. But from death, Jesus says, comes life. Part of my exercising is lifting weights. First time I lifted weights, I felt like a beast for that day, and I felt like a cripple for two days, three days later. It was agonizing. It hurt. But Jesus says, yes, the narrow way, it starts hard, but it, it leads to the better life, the truer life, the, the fuller life, the more abundant life. Trust him and you begin. See, here's what happens. When you trust him and walk that path, you start to love the things Jesus loves. You, you, you start to want the things Jesus wants. You start to value the things he values. You prioritize the things he values. It starts to become more and more habitual. And you begin to look like you were always meant to look. The beauty of character, like his. Remember I said many people are attracted to Jesus' character in the Bible? Well, how do you think you get that character? By pursuing him. I'm going to end with reading a pretty big portion of a book. And I don't do this often, but this is such a powerful thing. One of my favorite books is a book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's very short. I encourage many of you to, I encourage all of you to read it sometime. It's a fascinating book about a group of people from hell who take a bus ride to the outskirts of heaven. They don't get to go all the way into heaven, but they get to go to the outskirts of heaven, and they get to talk to various residents of heaven, and they're given the option of entering heaven. The problem is, is that, that person after person after person, they refuse to give up the thing that's keeping them out of heaven. Even though they're looking, and they're like, wow, that place looks so beautiful, it looks so amazing, they won't give up that thing. And so they can't enter glory. And it's, it's actually a heartbreaking description of these creatures who are 
constantly turning away from, from this opportunity. But then there's this one man. It's a little different for him. He comes, and he's got a little red lizard on his shoulder. And that lizard is a symbol for lust. And he meets an angel, and the angel offers to kill this lizard. And at first, he's like, no, 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 don't bother. Uh, you know what, I'll, do, I'll just keep him quiet and tell him to shut up. And, and the angel keeps persisting. And this is the dialogue. May I kill it? Well, <laughs> that's a further question. I, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's kind of embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There's no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thank you ever so much. May I kill it? <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I'll think over what you said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be silly to do it now. I'd need to go in good health for the operation. Uh, some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why? You're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know. You think I'm a coward. But it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus, get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come back the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering out me at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the thing without asking me before I knew it? It would all be over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. And the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loudly that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. And then you'll be without me forever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He, he doesn't understand. He's a cold, bloodless abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And, and, and I'll be so good. I admit sometimes I've gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent, have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. 
It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost. But he ended whimpering. God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while, while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broke back into the, tr- into the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid but growing ever more solid, the upper arm and shoulder of a man. Then brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. And, and if my attention had not wavered, I should have seen the actual completing, completing of a man, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. But as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen, silvery white with this mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hoof. At each stamp, the land shook and the trees dwindled. The new-made man turned and clapped the new horse's neck. It nosed his bright body. Horse and master breathed into the other's nostrils. The man turned from it, flung himself at the feet of the burning one and embraced them. And when he rose, I thought his face shone with tears, but it may have been only the liquid love and brightness which flowed from him. I had not long to think about it. In joyous haste, the young man leaped upon the horse's back, Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell, then nudged the stallion with his heels, and they were off before I knew what was happening. What a picture. Friends, if you and I would let Jesus kill sin in us, the desires even that gave birth to that sin will actually be transformed into the thing they were meant to be all along. And so will you and I. We will be bright and beautiful beyond our imagining. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on this Thanksgiving day, we say, Amen. Amen? Pray with me. Father, We thank you and praise you for the narrow way. Jesus is the gate. May we all go through him to find life abundant. Take away our fears. Take away our obstacles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.